Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Football is back, and BetOnline is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all of the up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with BetOnline's real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From Week 1 all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, BetOnline gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer podcast on the Believe Network, where we talk about entertainment, media, and sports topics. As always, appreciate you being with us and making us the number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running. Today we have uh, an episode uh, talking about um, sports betting as sort of pop culture and um, what's been happening with regard to some of the sports betting changes across the country, but also how, how pop culture has somewhat influenced uh, sports betting and vice versa. So this is uh, episode uh, 38 of season five. So I hope that um, you enjoy what we're going to be talking about today. So, you know, sports betting is something that if you look back in 2018, there was this major decision at the Supreme Court, which we've talked before about on this show. And uh, it was the, the, the Murphy uh, v. Um, NCAA case. And essentially what that case found was that you had a situation where you had this professional um, uh amateurism, um, sports sort of betting act that said that um, other than the current states at the time that allowed sports betting, uh, it was the PASFA Act, is uh, that any states beyond the sort of ones that were listed could not expand uh, in terms of sports betting. So it was really sort of a prohibition, if you will, on sports betting. And uh, the case originated, I believe, out of New Jersey, um, and of course, there were some challenges, and um, uh, and it ended up in the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court decided in a, um, I think it was a nine-zero decision, that ultimately um, the act was uh, unconstitutional. And the way that it found that was, it said that you know you cannot commandeer a state to do or not do something, and it, and the the court felt that constitutionally it was improper for the law to tell other states that it could not institute um, sports gaming, sports betting, or sports books. And so ultimately, once that case was decided, it sort of opened up the proverbial floodgates to sports betting uh, really across the United States, where at this point we now have, I want to say it's about half the United States, half of the states in the union um, now have uh, sports betting. Uh, And uh, if they don't have it, uh, they've introduced some law towards it, 
And of course, there are other states that are pursuing it as well. Obviously, with the big ones like Florida, Texas, and um, California, uh, still sort of uh, in a state where um, don't really know sort of what's going to happen next. You know, in California, for example, there was two ballots, two initiatives on the ballot back in November of last year, and they both failed, I think, by a 60 to 40 margin. So, uh, or even a 65 to four, uh, 35 margin, if I if I remember correctly. But that's where it stands now, right? So that's sort of the the map, if you will. And but but doesn't mean that sports betting has not um, you know clearly taken a jump in other places across the country. And what's interesting about this is that you know obviously in pop culture these days, and a lot of with a lot of folks sort of um, tuning into NFL. Uh, at record numbers, you have obviously this Taylor Swift, and um, who's a obviously a pop icon, and then you got the Kansas City Chiefs Pro Bowl tight end Travis Kelsey, and of course they're dating. It's in the press. I don't want to belabor the point. Uh, it's been talked about, you know, I think enough. And um, uh, from sort of their dating standpoint, I, I get it's a popular thing, but I think at the same time it's probably nice to have a little bit of privacy. Uh, but that being said, I guess when you're um, when you're, you know, a pop star and a, a very, very well-known tight end, uh, maybe the most well-known tight end uh, in the country, uh, in terms of football, um, you know, clearly, uh, you know, I think it opens up some opportunities for people to be, um, you know, sort of excited about their relationship. Right. And of course she's attended the last two games and this sort of been all over the news. Well, uh, and you may have even seen there was a joke that was played on social media where you might have, you know, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse in a in a relationship record their significant other without them knowing and, you know, pose the um, the, st the statement or the question, you know, basically saying that, you know, Swift put Kelsey on the map in terms of uh, making him more popular, uh, which may be true among uh, Swift's fans, but definitely not true among um, you know football fans or Kelsey fans. But the two is definitely the two together has definitely provided um, you know some fever pitch, if you will, and I think folks are are excited about that. But clearly, um, you know Travis Kelsey is is you know one of the most well known football players. But um, but of course it's it's nice to see uh, the two come together and nice to see the two. Um, you know, have some additional popularity there, which, you know, may indeed help, um, you know, with ticket sales and merchandise sales and everything else. But I want to kind of hone in on this point a little bit in that um, it, it is interesting that uh, the two of them together are sort of really created this um, um, sort of feverish level, if you will, even to the point where you have NBA uh, team owner Mark Cuban joking that Swift uh, should break it off with Kelsey that so that she can date one of the Dallas Mavericks players. I think insinuating that uh, clearly she would bring some popularity uh, to the team and, and to the players. What's sort of interesting about this and tying this back to the sports betting issue is, you know, sports, sports books are now offering uh, betting props that are uh, Swift and Kelsey themed, uh, which is, um, you know, really fascinating when you think about it. And I can't remember the last time um, that that sort of happened. You know, you have sort of these sports books looking at, um, there was one of them called an opening act. There was another one called seeing red. Um, it's just, it's very interesting that sort of putting up these, um, 
prop bets. There was one called Friend Zone, where it's talking about um, whether or not Travis Kelsey would score a TD, uh, a TD or touchdown. So, um, and there was one that was um, seeing red, where the Chiefs would win by uh, more than twenty-two points. And then um, it's just sort of there's, there's the other ones that I won't mention, but um, there was a great article in Front Office Sports that you can check out where it talked about some of those. But my point here is that clearly um, there's been sort of this um, growth in sports betting and where it's becoming, you know, in many ways, um, very popular to bet, even if it's um, not on a consistent basis. What do I mean by that? Well, prior to Murphy v. NCAA and the opening up and sort of overturning, if you will, of the PASFA Act, you had a situation where gambling was very limited. You know, you really couldn't, you know, go to, you had to go to a certain state, you know, let's say uh, Nevada, you had to go to Las Vegas, you had to, you know, be there. And other than that, you might have some Native American reservations in states where you can do some card games or uh, some sort of uh, slot machines or what have you. They may or may not have had a sports book, you know, on the reservation, uh, but it was pretty limited. And now it seemingly is, um, is in more and more states. And it doesn't mean that it's sort of overtaking certain things, but you do see hotels that are having these, um, you know, sports books. And of course, you know, Vegas is is as popular as ever. Uh, with the new hotels and some of the entertainment that's coming in there. And of course the sports teams that have all come there uh, between um, obviously the golden Knights, which have been there for, for, um, for a few years now. And then of course you've got um, the Oakland Raiders, which have been there uh, for, I think a couple years now. And then of course you've got um, uh, the Oakland A's potentially coming, depending on if they can get their uh, stadium deal worked out and whatever public dollars are coming in. And there's talk about bringing an NBA team, uh, and then who knows what's going to happen with soccer. But clearly, uh, Vegas is growing, and, and the sports betting industry is growing. And so I, I think that it is interesting that I think that sort of Swift and Kelsey um, dating sort of relationship and what people have seen online, particularly if you watched the game last night and the week before, uh, it clearly shows that uh, there's a sort of interest in sports betting and utilizing pop culture to help um, expand sports betting, if you will. Now, of course, the problem with all of this is that with any betting expansion, there's always the issue and the worry about addiction and impropriety, right? So people being addicted and people having any sort of impropriety, meaning betting on your own team, um, you know, fixing games, you know, that sort of thing, right? Those major issues going back to, let's say, um, you know, essentially what happened with the Black Sox in 1919, where the team was alleged to have, you know, essentially thrown the World Series uh, and actually went to trial over it. And it was found that some guys did and other guys didn't. Um, but ultimately, a lot of players could not play again. And of course, going back to Pete Rose and him betting on his own team to win. Um, and ultimately him being, you know, kicked out of baseball for life. And then um, there's been certain um, commissioners who have sort of looked at the issue of reinstating him. And I hope that it happens before um, he comes back or sorry, uh, before he leaves, I should say um, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, his life. I mean, I just, it'd be, I think it would be a nice thing to see. And of course it's not to take away from, 
the issue of gambling, right? Because clearly there was an issue with him gambling uh, on his own team and what shouldn't have been done. But if you look at the NFL's policy, which we'll discuss here in a second, um, clearly a lifetime ban uh, may not have been the proper punishment uh, for the crime, so to speak, right? Well, again, this back to this addiction and impropriety. Now, the NFL has now implemented new rules. Um, and it's got some severe severe penalties for players who uh, bet on their own games. Uh, so, for example, an NFL player caught betting on their own team will face a two-year ban. I think if they get caught again, it may be an actually a, a, a lifetime ban. Um, and, of course, NFL career, most NFL players last about four years. So a two-year ban is a big deal. Um, obviously, some of the best players can last 15 to 20, but that's pretty rare. Um, and it, it obviously goes by position as well, generally. So uh, an NFL player caught fixing games will potentially face a lifetime ban, uh, which, of course, clearly makes sense. Um, you know, in terms of your betting uh, and sort of fixing games uh, to make it so that, you know, you make money off of throwing a game or doing something to alter the outcome on purpose, uh, you know, for the for the sake of making um, making money on a bet, you know, clearly is is something that, uh, should face a lifetime ban. But when you compare that to, let's say, Pete Rose, right, who bet on his own team to win, um, you know, maybe a two-year ban was more appropriate. And of course, he got a lifetime ban. And of course, sports have changed, right? Uh, the idea of gambling has changed, become more prevalent. It's become more, um, you know, household. It's become more welcomed. You know, it wasn't until I think prior to, and I'm not a gambler, but, and, and you know, don't really, um, I follow, obviously, uh, sports betting because uh, it's an interesting thing to follow within the sports industry, but it's not something that I do. And it, it is interesting because um, when you look at sort of sports betting and you think, well, prior to, you know, Murphy v. NCAA, you know, I didn't really follow the odds or follow anything like that. But it is an interesting part now as you as I look at a game and I look what the, what the odds are, even though I'm not betting it gives me a sense of what people think is going to happen. Not that that's the end all be all, but it is, doesn't add and add an extra element to, um, to these games. Right. Which I think comes back to the business side of this. So you have this sort of expansion of betting. There's clearly the, the issues of addiction and propriety. If, actually, if you look at any gambling website or application or uh, whatever it might be, there's always that disclaimer at the bottom that says, you know, do you have a problem? you know, call us here at this number or what have you. So the business side of this is this, is that sports betting is proven to increase engagement in games. That's clear. So if you, if you put money down on something, logically, uh, you're going to have more of an interest in the outcome of that. You have an investment in it in some sense, right? So you want to care and you do care about the outcome because you put money into it. Now, of course, as I mentioned before, betting in the past was something that you did when you went to Vegas or you went to Reno or you went to a place where they had it. But of course, now it's so prevalent that um, people are much more knowledgeable about it, or at least um, they follow it a lot more. And to sort of further and belabor this point, uh, NFL fans can now bet on games while streaming from their, from their homes, from their television, from their mobile devices uh, in states where sports betting is allowed, uh, particularly mobile sports betting. Now, what's interesting about this is some states have a different way of doing it. Some states are mobile. Um, you know, they don't have mobile options. Some states do. Some states don't have any, you know, um, 
availability for sports sports betting at least yet. Um, but of course, more than half of the states and the union clearly have it, uh, or at least working towards it. Uh, and for example, looking at you know California, we mentioned them earlier in the podcast. You know Arizona uh, does you know which is obviously next door to California actually allows uh, for in-person and mobile sports betting um, and even at games. And of course, the tax revenues here are significant. Uh, the state of New York, for example, which passed its sports betting law, now collects um, about 51% of every sports betting dollar. That's a lot of money. And of course, once PASFA was overturned, what it did was it said states are now allowed to institute their own uh, gaming threshold, if you will, institute a licensing program, which was required under the law. So a lot of states did that. Well, of course, some states have lower tax percentages. Others have higher ones. New York is, I think, the highest. Uh, and it's interesting because after these laws were passed and you look at the numbers in the state of New York and Pennsylvania, states are pulling in massive amounts of money, uh, even more than Vegas uh, in, in in some ways. And so it's it's very interesting um, about where some of these states are are pulling money in from and, and what that might mean for other projects. Of course, the big question is always, where is this money being spent? So again, back to the sort of issue of addiction and impropriety. I think that going forward, these sports leagues are going to need to make sure, as the NFL has, is trying to do here uh, with this new policy, which was there was a joint statement actually made by the NFLPA and the NFL on this. So they were um, in agreement that there should be this policy, which makes sense, right? Because you want the game to be truthful. You want folks to be doing the right thing uh, and obviously not throwing games and betting on games because it just it takes away from the purity of the game, if you will. Um, no different than, um, let's say, what people might make the argument about steroids, right? Performance-enhancing drugs. So, you know, clearly the league takes these things seriously, or at least it's trying to do so with these policies. So there sort of needs to be these protections against addiction. There needs to be help for addiction. Uh, and there needs to be policies with, frankly, regulatory and disciplinary teeth for cheating and impropriety. And I think that's going to be essential for the continued success for both uh, licensees, licensors, bettors, and the public. Um, I think the last thing that sports leagues and uh, college athletic departments need or want is some sort of wild west of sports betting, uh, similar to the rollout of NIL laws. And so um, it is interesting, though, because some states don't have sports betting, so it's not a much of an issue. And of course, a lot of times when you're doing online betting, um, you know, I think one of the things that law enforcement has looked at is obviously how to, how to regulate regulate that through um, through IP addresses and making sure that people are not betting in states where they not should not be betting. And I think they've done a fairly decent job of that, but I don't know the numbers. Um, but, um, you know, clearly I think law enforcement is trying to make a difference there. And of course, if you follow the trends of the English Premier League um, over in Europe, you know, you have this thing where... Uh, there's been this cutback on sports leagues and sponsorship dollars for sports betting companies or sports books. And part of that is because of the impropriety, but also the fact that it's the connection to the game so much to a point where I think it scares people and it scares leagues. And it's, you know, when you have a sports betting company right across the chest of a Jersey, right? 
I think people immediately are thinking to themselves, mm, I don't know if that makes sense, right? Because you have the situation where you want the game to be pure. You want the game to be, uh, feel like there's a, you know, anybody could win that game as, you know, uh, but for somebody cheating, right? And so I think that leagues are starting to take this seriously. And I think one thing here in America that is likely to happen is these leagues are going to start to look at sponsorship dollars and ad placement for sports books uh, within stadiums as, as, as um, names of stadiums and also on jerseys. You know, in baseball, very traditional sport, you know, you're going to see maybe one patch or two on a jersey. Um, you know, hockey, you know, pretty much similar thing. Basketball, there's been a little more movement there in terms of uh, jersey patches. And of course, soccer has kind of opened up, um, you know, what, you know, to, to really, I think there's just more of an understanding and acceptance of having a jersey name or having the jersey name or the patch on it be a lot more prevalent. So where you might normally see the name of the team across the front, then you might see, you know, a sports betting or something like that or some other, um, you know, brand that is paid for that placement. But it's something to keep in mind. And it's something that I think a lot of these sports leagues are going to have to take it, um, you know, take seriously because the opposite would be a league that, you know, folks don't know. Um, there, there's some questioning as to outcome of games. Right. And, and I think betting, betting could have a problem in that sense and less regulated uh, and overseen and investigated. So, We'll see how this plays out, but uh, that's this week's show where we're talking about uh, sports betting is sort of becoming pop culture and becoming more accepted and the need for, you know, continued regulation and oversight of these things, uh, particularly for the purity of the game, right? And, you know, some folks may be saying, well, the purity is lost when you introduce gambling. I don't know if that's the case. I think, you know, gambling has, I'm sure it's business purposes, um, and, and clearly it helps with engagement, but I think ultimately the way that uh, this needs to be done correctly is through regulation, but sort of see how that plays out. So again, I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. This is the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. As always, appreciate you being with us, making us number one sports law podcast in the world for three years running. Look forward to being back with you next week. And this episode has been brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you so much. Ooh.